0: My name is Hosea, um, and uh, I am, my, my, my profession is prophet um, of the Lord Jehovah, and I've been asked to visit with you today and um, come speak to you uh, about my story and share a few excerpts from my, my biography, uh, which is in the Old Testament, um, named Hosea. Uh, my, my prophetic ministry took place um, in the area of Judea and Jerusalem around uh, 750 to 725 BC and um, I believe that we are doing a prophet for president um, uh, series right now and so I wanted to let you know my story in hopes that you would vote for me. Um, My story starts off, uh, I'll just go ahead and start my story. When I was out on one of my many um, preaching uh, tours. Uh, and uh, I, I was promoting my book, Jehovah Is, and um, it was, uh, <laughs> things were going well. I was on my way home from, from my preaching tour, and uh, as, I, as I came down the mountain, uh, Mount, Mount, Mount Tabor, as I came down Mount Tabor, at the foot of Mount Tabor, um, God appeared to me. And I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but he just he just showed up like uh, like the, the clouds just formed over me. And there was this this whirlwind of, of fog or smoke or something just swirling around me. I, I was completely um, covered in this presence. There was there was thundering, there was lightning. Um, but having been there before, I knew I knew that I was in the presence of Jehovah. I was in the presence of of God. And so God spoke to me, and his voice was like thunder. It just thundered at me. And he said, he said Hosea, I'm going to speak to you concerning my people Israel. And uh, I said, yes, Lord, your servant is listening. And so he said, well, Hosea, as you know, I, I, I have a covenant with my people. I have made a covenant with my people that I would be their God and that they would be my people. And I said, yes, Lord, we're very, we're very proud of that fact that we have this covenant with you. But then the Lord took me on a bit of a journey. Actually, it was kind of like a movie, like a movie screen just appeared in front of me. And he started showing me time and time again where the people of Israel and Judah had failed in their commitment to God, where they had said one thing with their mouth and done another thing with their lives. I don't know if that still happens in 2016, but in seven 50 B.C. There were, there were several instances where they had gone back on their commitment to God, where they had f- walked away from God, where they had rejected the covenant that they had made with Jehovah. And standing there that day listening uh, to God speak to me, he had in his voice a pain, and you could hear it. It was the pain that only comes from somebody whose love has been rejected. Listening to Jehovah that day, I knew that God was about to speak to me. I knew what he was going to say. I knew he was going to say, look, Hosea, I, I've, I've had it with these Israelites. I've had it with Judah. I'm going to destroy them. I'm going to wipe them out. I'm going, to, I'm going to obliterate them from the face of human history. And so I prepared myself, you know, to hear the worst. But to my utter amazement, do you know what God said to me? He said, Hosea, I actually have a plan to save Judah. And I will save Israel, not by bow, not by sword, not by horsemen, but I will save her by the power of my love. And I said, well, Lord, that's, uh, that's good news. You know, I'm sure the people of Israel and Judah would be delighted to hear that, but, you know, why are you telling me this? And God said, well, Hosea, I've been watching you preach, and, 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 and I want... I've chosen you. I want you to be my designated messenger. I want you to be the one to share this message of my love with my people. I want you to be the one to go across all of Israel and Judah and proclaim the salvation and the power of my love. And he said, Hosea, I you know, been, have been listening to your sermons and stuff. And um, well, I think you need to work on some things. Not that the book wasn't good. Not that the Jehovah's Not Dead movie wasn't a good idea, you know. And I said, Lord, we're actually looking at a sequel. We're going to call it Jehovah's Not Dead 2. And uh, he said, that's real creative of you. Um, But he said, look, there's still, there's just something you're missing. Like you just don't understand my love. And I said, all right, Lord, what do I need to do to understand your love? And he said, well, I'm going to send you to seminary. I said, Lord, I've already been to seminary. I got, you know, I got, I got my degree already. And he said, "No, no, no. This kind of degree you don't get on a piece of paper. This is not the kind that you wear a hat for, and you you toss your cap. I'm going to send you to a seminary, uh, and it's a seminary called Marriage." <laughs> I said, "Lord, hey, that's a piece of cake, right? There's no exams." There's no pop quizzes. There's no grumpy teachers. I, 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 you know what? I, I, think, I think that's actually a good seminary. In fact, I was just talking to myself the other day, and I said, prophet, I think we need to go to that seminary. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, like I, and, and, Lord, I know that you, you, know, you, you, you know everything. You're God and all that. Uh, but there is this lady that I've been uh, talking to and um, noticing, and, you know, she, I, think, I, I think she would make a great prophet's wife. I mean, she comes from a, a great Jewish family. Um, she, she, she helps me on, on all of my preaching tours, right? She'd pass out, you know, Ten Commandment tracks and WWJD bracelets. What would Jehovah do? And, and you know, I mean, she, she, she would make a great... She listens to Caleb all day long. She would make a great prophet's wife. And God said, yeah, Hosea, I know the girl that, you, that you're talking about. Uh, and you're right. She will make somebody... A great wife but she's not the one I've chosen for you Hosea and God said in fact the one I've chosen for you uh, well she's not from a Jewish family Uh, she never listens to Caleb um, and she hasn't even heard any of your sermons in fact the one I've chosen for you the girl that I want you to marry that I have chosen for you Hosea is a pagan prostitute. I said, Lord, uh, are you sure you got the right Hosea? I think, like, there's, there's, there's another one lives on my street. He's, he's always doing drugs and stuff. I think that's the one that you're, ta- like, I'm Hosea the prophet, right? The preacher. I'm, like, do you, do you know? And, and God said, no, Hosea, I know who you are. I have the right Hosea. And I want you to marry a pagan prostitute. Now, I I don't know about, about, about you all, but I was told that if I, you know, stayed faithful to God and if I did all the right things, that he had a wonderful plan for my life. I don't know if you read that book, but it, 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 it was supposed to be my best life now. You know what I'm saying? Like it was supposed to be the greatest thing ever. That's what I would. And I said, Lord, wait a minute. I, I've been faithful to you all these years. I, 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 I haven't broken the law. I've been very careful to keep all of the commandments. Why in the world? Like like, like I thought, like like this, is, this doesn't even make sense, right? Like people are going to leave my church when, they, when I marry a prostitute, right? How did you meet her, Hosea? Um, match.com. <laughs> you, 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 I mean, Lord, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, the, like the Southern Baptists, they're going to kick me out. The Pentecostals aren't going to let me preach at their churches anymore. I mean, I mean, all my preacher friends, like, what are they going to say when I marry a prostitute, a pagan? I mean, we're not even compatible. Like, you look at Match.com, there's no compatibility factor. Between me and a pagan prostitute, she doesn't even believe in you. She, she worships other gods. She, you know, I, I, I don't look. And, and, and so I kept reasoning with, with, with God, and maybe some of you have done this before, but, you know, when God tells you something, it just doesn't sound right. I said, Lord, this just doesn't feel right to me. Uh, <laughs> I, I think, I, I think because, because, because the Bible says that you, do, you want everything to be done for your glory. So here's a good question, Lord. What glory are you going to get from me marrying a prostitute? Where is the glory, right, when somebody who has kept all the rules comes together with somebody who has kept none of the rules? Where is the glory when somebody who is, who is holy like myself, somebody who is godly like myself Hooks up with somebody who is ungodly and, and unholy. Where's the glory when, when, when someone who is full of shame comes together with someone who is, who, is, who, who, is, who is full of integrity? Where is the glory in that? God said, well, I want you to marry her. And I don't know about you, but uh, if you follow God for very long, you're going to come to a place where, where he wants you to do something and He's not going to explain. He's not going to give you the luxury of an explanation. He's just waiting for you to say yes. And so I knew that if I didn't say yes to God, that I would never have peace again in my life. I knew, I knew that I had to just blindly say okay. And so I said, all right, Lord, I'll, I'll marry her, you know. Uh, what's her name? He said, well, her name's Gomer. I said, great. just getting better and better. Where is she at? Well, she's down at the pagan temple. I said, okay. So I began walking toward the pagan temple. Never been there before in my life. And this, this is, I think, how God works, is that after you choose to obey God, when you start walking in obedience, that's when he starts explaining a few things. And so he began speaking to me. He said, Hosea, now that you've decided to obey me, I... I I'll share with you a little bit about what I'm doing. See, I, I'm—I I need to put my stick down a little bit because I just can't preach and stick at the same time. Uh, y- I'll share—I'll share with you a little bit what, of what I'm doing. In other words, in other words, I, I am—I—I—I I, I, I am going to use this um, strange relationship. I'm going to use this improbable relationship between a preacher and a prostitute, between a prophet and a prostitute, I'm going to use this this odd relationship as an allegory. I'm going to use it as an allegory. It's going to be a, a living story for my people Israel, but not just my people Israel, because every generation is full of gomers. Every generation is full of people who feel that they have fallen too far, who feel that they are worth so little, who believe that they have messed up so much that God doesn't even know where they're at anymore. And I'm going to use your story, Hosea, as a as an allegory to, to preach to every gomer, not just, not, not just this current time, but even in 2016, there are people who are so full of shame that they don't even dare approach God. But I'm going to use this story, Hosea, to, to preach to every gomer, the male and the female gomers down through the ages who have prostituted themselves. Maybe not physically, but they've given up pieces of themselves in order to survive and they've compromised who they are. They've forgotten who I've made them to be and they feel completely estranged from me. I'm going to use this relationship to show them that they've never fallen out of the hand reach of God. That however far they've fallen, wherever they're at, I still know where they're at and I am coming to get them. I said, okay, Lord. So I, I went to the pagan Uh, temple there knocked on the door and said "Uh, I'm looking for Gomer they brought out Gomer and I said look um, you know God my God the real God not the one you believe in the real one (laughs) has sent me uh, to marry you and she thought about it for a moment and she said okay (laughs) she she was obviously desperate Uh, she said well let me you know let me go get let me go get my clothes and everything and i said yeah we'll stop by jc penny on the way <laughs> yeah. we need some longer hymns probably uh, something to kind of cover you up a little bit um, and and this is this this began the relationship right this is how we started off we we she, she came home with me uh we began building a family it was obviously awkward um, incredibly awkward at first and, and she had to learn so much, but she was uh, open to learning the ways of Jehovah. She was open to being in community with, 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 with fellow Jews and, and, and celebrating the feast days and sacrificing at the temple and, 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 and going to tabernacle and, and doing all of the things, keeping all of the rules that, that we are used to keeping as Jews, as God's chosen people, she, she, was, she was trying. She was definitely trying, and I think, and I think that we even began to build a relationship. We had, we had, we had three children, and uh, uh, we began building a home. But to be honest, like she was sort of, um, she was stuck in a bit of a tug of war during that period, during those few years. I remember she was, she was, she was caught really uh, between a bit of a of 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 a push and a pull. And I think this is the truth for everybody. I think it's true even in 2016 that as soon as you start following God, as soon as you start trying, as soon as you start stepping out, doing something new, going in the right direction, you start to face some resistance. You start to face some headwinds. And you never really know where that headwind is gonna come from. You don't really know the way that, that that resistance is going to impact you and impact your life. But for her... I, and it's probably not this way in 2016, but, but back in my day, there were certain folks that were sort of like, they were just brought up in the tabernacle. You know, I, like I think maybe they were born in the tabernacle or something, but they were raised like under the pew, you know. And I, I was one of them. I, I, was, I was one of those, those people that were committed and devoted from a very early age. And that's a good thing. It's good to, to have a family that's devoted to God, connected with God from an early age. It's a good thing, but the danger... The danger for those people is that, wow, well, we tend to become a little bit um, like the gatekeepers. Like we tend to sort of self appoint ourselves as the ones who get to decide who is really close to Jehovah and who is not. This was where Gomer met her resistance. There was a bit of a push. There were were well-meaning, good-intentioned people who were constantly criticizing her. And no matter how holy she got, she was never holy enough. No matter how much she changed, she had never quite changed enough. And she she felt the stares. She saw saw the looks, and, 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 and she knew that she didn't quite measure up. And on top of all of that, you still had people that were wondering, you know, when she was going to return to her old life, and checking to see if she had really changed. So cynical, so critical, at times even hypocritical. She met that resistance from within. Uh, like I say, I don't know if it's that way in 2016, but sometimes the people who are closest to Jehovah can also exclude anybody else from getting very close to him because they 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 are so zealous to make sure that everybody is crossing every T and dotting every I that was kind of the push and I I think everyone's going to experience a bit of resistance, a bit of a push. But not only is there always a push, but there's also always a pull. Uh, no matter how far you get with God, there's always a pull back into your old life. Once you have, it's almost like, you know, it's almost like when you fall and, and break your leg or something. That, that bone is always going to be susceptible to breaking. Uh, uh, once you have certain diseases or sicknesses, even after you get over it, your body is always going to be slightly wounded in that way so that, so so that there 's always like a a, a a slide backward that if if you start relaxing or start easing back into life it 's so easy to to simply begin to compromise your way back to where you used to be and I think that 's what happened to Gomer as she began sliding back and falling back and getting pulled back into her old life. I remember the first time it happened, she was gone uh, for a couple of days. And the next time it was happening, she took off for a few weeks. And then the third time she left, she just never came back. And she had left me and the kids. She had left our ministry. She had left our family to go off and, and make a living the way she always used to know how. And I would be lying if I would say I wasn't a little bit uh, bitter and I wasn't a little bit angry and I wasn't hurt because she had betrayed me. She had betrayed my trust. She had everything that we had built together, everything we had worked on together, all the progress we had made, she had thrown it away because she still just didn't believe she was worth it. And so a couple months went by. And then the Lord finally spoke to me, and, he, and he, said, he said, Hosea, where is Gomer? And I said, well, Lord, you're God, so how would you tell me, you know, where she is? Like, you know where everybody is. I don't know why you're asking me. And then he asked me the real question. He said, well, Hosea, like, do you still want Gomer back? Would you take her back if I told you where she was? And it's interesting. I hadn't really thought about that. I think I had been consumed with just trying to take care of the kids, trying to deal with life, and really just kind of being angry for her having left. I hadn't really thought. And he said, Jose, you know, would you take her back? Would you receive her back into your home, into your life? I said, Lord, I mean, after all that she's done to us, after all that she's done to me, after, I mean... You know, fool me once, shame on somebody. Fool me twice, and there's other shame going on. I mean, like, Lord, like after, like I don't know that I want to be a doormat. I don't know that I want to I be taken for as a fool, uh, Lord. Like, you know, I mean, this is three times now that she's run off with other men and and left me behind. I don't, I like, I, Lord, Lord, like I don't, I don't know that I'm that that would be very wise. For me. I think, I think it would be better for me to, you know, uh, look for other options and uh, find another wife because this one didn't work out. And God said, well, would you take her back? And that's when I realized something. I, I, I realized that inside of me, that although Gomer had broken our marriage covenant, that although she had broken her commitment. The truth is, I had not broken my covenant, and I had not broken my commitment. And so I said, well, Lord, I, I, think, I think I would take her back. I think, I think I would try again. And that's when God said, okay, Hosea, now you're ready. Like, now you've got your diploma. Now you're ready to go tell Israel. See, because before... Before this whole scenario, before this marriage thing, you tended to think that my love was quite contractual, right? And so, and so, if you kept these rules, then I would keep these things. And if you did that, then I would do that. And if I did that, then you would do that. You seemed to believe it was a bit of a, a, a give and take, and and sort of a, a I do this, and then you do that, and then and then reliant on on this, and based upon this, and there are all these within my contract with you but now you're beginning to understand not just the concept of contract but the concept of covenant the covenant is different than contract the covenant is not something that can be fractured and ruptured simply by one person That, that that Gomer as far as she wants to run doesn't affect as committed as you are and covenanted as you are to her and so now you're ready to tell my people. So, so, Jose, I want you to tell my people that even though she has played the harlot, even though she has run after other gods, even though she has abandoned me, even though she has turned her back on me, I have never turned my back on her. I have never left her. I have never stopped loving her. And I have never stopped hoping that she would come back. I was scurrying down off that mountain, you know. I was was excited to go share the power of God's love. Not just the the gooey romantic love of God, but the the absolute uh, stalwart kind of solid iron in the cement foundation kind of love of God. And I don't know if you've ever stopped to think about that, but the love of God is like a solid foundation. You can build something strong on it, absolutely. Or you can build something really lame on it, but it doesn't affect the foundation. In the same way, your actions, whether good or bad, do not affect the love of God for you. You can't do anything to make God love you more. You can't do anything to make God love you more. You cannot do anything. You cannot pray more, you fast more, give more, give your body uh, away, I mean, die for, for the sins of the world. You cannot do anything to increase God's love for you. There's nothing you can do to increase it and there's nothing you can do to decrease it. It's a foundation. You can build a solid life on it you want to, you can squander it, you can waste it, you can turn away from it, but it is just as strong as it's ever been. And it is just as faithful, (laughs) staying consistent as it's ever been. And this is the love of God. And as I scurried down the the mountain, the Lord stopped me uh, and said, one more thing, Hosea. He said, I want you, um, I want you to know that not only is my love solid and faithful for the gomers of this world, but it also has to be faithful for the Hoseas of this world. It's, it's, It's there and faithful in pursuing those who do not believe that they are worthy of it, but it's also there and faithful in pursuing those who believe they have earned it. Because just like I have to forgive Gomer for her running, I also have to forgive Hosea for his pride. Because one is not any greater than the other. In my eyes, the belief that you have earned something is just as evil as the belief that you have lost everything. Both, both, both attitudes are a turning away from my grace. Both attitudes are a pulling back to self-sufficiency. Both attitudes look at who I am and what I've done and say, I don't think that's for me. And so I have to pursue the Hoseas of this world just like I have to pursue the Gomer's. And I often use this seminary that you're in to pursue you. And so I went around and preached that message. I preached the love of God, the powerful love of God, the forgiving love of God, the pursuing love of God. Everywhere I went, that became my story, that became my sermon. Never heard from Gomer uh, for years, raised the, the children from the time they were just little, and, and a number of years went by, couldn't find Gomer, had no news of where she was. And one day I was out in the field and uh, I, was, I, was, I, was, I was gathering wheat. That's what we did back in the day. And uh, one of my friends came riding up on a horse and, and he was in the distance and I, I could hear him shouting out, Hosea, Hosea, they, they think that they found Gomer in the marketplace. And so I heard that message, I went into my tent. I figured out how much money that I had. See, back in, back in my day and even some in times in your day, people were sold as slaves. And if you couldn't afford your life, if you couldn't afford to pay for your life, you would just sell yourself as a slave uh, in order to eat, in order to, to, to get by. And so if Gomer was in the marketplace, there's a strong chance that that's exactly where she was. I went into my tent and gathered up all the money that I could in my satchel, and I, I brought the satchel and hopped on my, my horse and began to ride into town. And my friend was riding behind me, and I, and I knew my friend just had a, had a sort of a knowing sort of, sort of smile on his face, right? Because, because this was my chance, this was my opportunity to sort of, you know, uh, get the last laugh. To kind of put my uh, vindictive finger, you know, in the face of my unfaithful wife. To, to see her uh, in, in this rough situation. To see her at, at the bottom of, of the, at the, at the end of the rope. To see her there. But he didn't, my friend didn't know what was in my heart. I, I hopped off my horse, got into town, began walking uh, into the marketplace, and I, I, people were staring, and sort of they—they they had also heard the news that Gomer was there, and, and and I knew what they were thinking. They were thinking that I was, you know, on my way to 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 be to to be present and to be and, and to be the one who took the higher road, right, and to be the one who, who 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 was faithful, to be the one who was there, and and now look at her, look how look how lowly she is. But they didn't know what was in my heart. I didn't come. Spectate. I didn't come to watch, I came to purchase. And so I turn around the corner and I see my wife on the auction block, and other people are bidding for her. The years of, of, of hard living had, had taken its toll. She, wasn't, she, she didn't look like she used to look, but I could see I could see that it was still Gomer. And so I reached in my bag and I, I, I counted up all that I had. I had 15 shekels of silver uh, and, and a barley and a half, which, by the way, is the same equivalent of 30 shekels of silver, but that's for another day. And so I had 15 shekels of silver and a barley and a half. And I said, look, this is, this is what I have. And the auctioneer said, sold to the highest bidder. And so I went and took her down. I went and took her down off of, off of the auction block. I, I took my, my, my priest robe, not really priest robe, but my, my, my prophet robe and wrapped it around her. And we began making our way out of the city. And we came out of the city and she just broke down crying. And she said, Hosea, I don't, I don't, I don't deserve to come back as your wife. I mean, after all that I've done, uh, just let me be the maid. Let me be the servant of the house That's when I said, look, I I don't need a maid in my house. And the, the kids don't need a maid. I need a wife. The kids need their mother. And if you're wondering today how you would be received, God doesn't need any servants. He doesn't need any maids. God wants relationship. So I said, you can come home with me and... And be my wife, not my maid, and enter into relationship again. And that's how my story ended. But actually, my story is really just the warm-up. It's the, it's the precursor to another story, a story that would happen 750 years after me, a story where, where all of us had sinned against God, either through pride or through, or through shame. All of us had turned away from God and all of us had, had gone our own way. All of us had become uh, independent and rejected the love of God. And justice stood up and justice said, well, the, the just thing for these people is that they would pay for their sins, is that they would, they would die and not just die physically, but that they would die eternally. They would go to a place of torment forever. But God, God held off justice for a minute <laughs> and he said, hold up just a minute. And God came in the form of man, born as a baby, lived a perfect life, and he rounded the corner, not of the marketplace, but of the hill called Golgotha. His back was stripped and beating and bleeding and his head was, was, was crushed with thorns that had been hammered into his skull. His beard had been plucked out His heart had literally burst, and so he was sweating blood from the weight, not of uh, what was happening to him physically, but the weight of our sins and what we had done. And he stood, and he was nailed to a cross, and he was hung between heaven and earth. He was suspended between heaven and earth in order to bridge the gap between heaven and earth. And when his body was broken and beaten and his blood poured out for us, mercy, (laughs) the Bible says, that mercy and justice kissed. That mercy and justice held hands and were able to reconcile with each other in the person of Jesus Christ. In order that every Gomer in here and every Hosea in here might be clean, might be free, might enter into a relationship with God and live with him, not as a servant, not as a slave, but as a son, as, a, as an offspring, as a, as, a, as, as a beloved. And that's what God wants for each and every one of you. And so I want to offer that to you, that freedom and that clean slate. It's as simple as putting your faith in the one who died for you. It's as simple as believing and accepting that that was actually for you. It's as simple as stepping out in faith and basically coming down off the auction block. Just stepping down to go home with God. And in everyday life, of course, it looks different for each and every person because, because there are different ways that, that we struggle and different ways that we have fallen and for the Gomers and for the Hoseas. But in each and every moment, the answer is always the same. Do you believe, do you believe that Jesus' blood was for you and do you believe that it was enough? That's really just the, 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 the question. Was it for you? Is it enough? Do you have to add something to it? Do you have to, do, 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 do you, maybe it was for other people? Was it for you? Is it enough? And if you can say yes to those questions every single time. You begin to live in relationship with Jesus. So, would you bow your heads with me and close?